The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Are you ready? It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 472 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I'm happy to welcome back to the podcast, Bernie Gonzalez, the main creator of Midnight Mystery, one of my all-time favorite mystery comics. It blends several kinds of mystery together, including supernatural and murder mysteries, among others. Bernie's got some new developments that he's going to share with us. He's got the first volume of Midnight Mystery available and some new stuff that I can't wait for him to share with us. Here's how he describes Midnight Mystery. It's a suspense horror comic book series that follows the strange adventures of Detective Ezekiel Zeke King. It's a mix of supernatural, X-Files, and film noir movies told in the style of Batman the Animated Series and Darwin Cook's New Frontier. If you go to IWantMystery.com, you'll see all kinds of good stuff from Bernie there. So we talk about what he's got available now, what's coming, as well as what we can expect in the future from Midnight Mystery. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. I'm happy to welcome back to the podcast, Bernie Gonzalez from Midnight Mystery. We talked before, Bernie, and there's some developments at Midnight Mystery. How are you doing? I am good, Wayne. Thanks for uh, having me back on the show, uh, and thanks for being a supporter of Indie Comics and Midnight Mystery. Uh, I think uh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be a good conversation. It's going to be fun. I, I enjoyed the last time we talked, which was uh, uh, things that were just coming. Uh, Midnight Mystery was just starting to get released and stuff. And so I, I want to right off the bat talk about the website. It's IWantMystery.com to be able to get these great uh, books. And as I mentioned to you, I ordered the, the volume one just before we started to talk. So I'm looking forward to those. We've got some progress even to talk about that as we go along. So I'm really looking forward to that. Before we get to all that, why don't we, for people who may not have heard the last time we talked, why don't you describe what Midnight Mystery is? Sure. Midnight Mystery is a suspense horror comic book series that follows the strange adventures of Detective Ezekiel or Zeke King. Um, So if you think of Supernatural X-Files that had those Monster of the Week episodes along with those bigger conspiracy mythology episodes that would go from season to season. 
that's a, a bit of the tone of Midnight Mystery, Detective Zeke. He covers regular, you know, noir detective type cases. Uh, and at the same time, on occasion, when he's going into a back alley, instead of trying to find the runaway or a mistress who might be, you know, or, or someone who might be cheating with a mistress, and he's trying to document that as a regular private detective, he might run into a ghost, a specter or a phantom or a zombie. So a little bit of that Maltese Falcon uh, tone of film noir TCM movies, along with that supernatural bent. And uh, my style, it's uh, it's told in the style of Batman the Animated Series or Darwin Cook's New Frontier. Um, I know I'm probably putting myself in better company than I deserve, but it does have kind of like an animated uh, cartoony type feel to it, you know, inspired by the great artists like Darwin Cook, Bruce Tim, Eisner, Toth, um, some of the some of my big inspirations that, you know, just definitely influences uh, the type of work. So it's not grim and gritty, uh, but definitely, you know, and you've read some of these, Wayne, uh, you know, there is a little bit of characterization. There's a little bit of depth in it that uh, that tries to that I try to sneak into Midnight Mystery. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm going to try not to repeat some of the stuff that, that we talked about the last time, but on some level, I'm just going to have to because there's some great stuff about this. Uh, this is – I still am shocked when I think about it. This is your very first comic. That's and right, it, yeah. I, I started working on it. Uh, I was trying to figure this out uh, not too long ago, uh, probably after college, so maybe 2005, 2004. And I had just discovered Darwin Cook's New Frontier, and I started to see how he was working with ink pens. And at the time, you know, after college, I I was trying to get back into drawing on a regular basis again and seeing his work, uh, seeing what comics uh, was doing, especially indie comics. Um, Blankets was another big inspiration. And seeing what they were doing, you know, once we were kind of past the whole Bolly, you know, polybagged chromium cover 90s that, you know, I was definitely a big fan of, too. Uh, mm-hmm. But just seeing what indie comics and what mainstream comics was doing, it was really inspiring. And that's when I started to think, all right, well, if I'm going to start sketching, uh, what am I sketching? You know, I'm a very functional artist. I, I don't keep a sketchbook per se. Uh, if I if anything, I keep more like theme books where I'll draw a lot of cars, but usually it might be because I know eventually there's a story I want to tell that's all about cars. So I have to kind of try and see if I can, you know, just get better at drawing, uh, you know, that stretchy cars or the elongated doing a quick curve. So I found myself drawing more private detectives, you know, those guys in trench coats with the fedoras, uh, smoking with the gun and again, going back alleys and shadows. Uh, And I thought, you know what, this is kind of neat, but I don't know that I want to tell uh, just a simple straightaway private detective story. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that would be as much fun for me. And, you know, I want to keep myself entertained. So I thought, well, what if this private detective wasn't chasing a, a case, but rather, you know, a regular case, but like he was chasing after a zombie or something. And then that's, that's when it started to develop. Um, yeah. And it wound up becoming my first published comic and I've been working on it now for, wow. I mean, we're talking about two decades. Um, so Midnight Mystery has definitely been a big part of my comic book career. Mm-hmm. Well, I, one of the things – now, I, we, of course, need to point out is that you write and draw this this book. I, that was one of the things I, I wasn't aware of when we first talked. But uh, now you've had people doing lettering. Do, do, 
do you do the lettering these days or do you still get other people to do lettering? How's that work? Oh, no, I still work with uh, the great Wes Loker. Uh, he started lettering Midnight Mystery uh, when I was working with a previous publisher. And now that I'm uh, releasing Midnight Mystery all on my own. Uh, so, you know, I'm again, like you mentioned, I created it. I write it. I draw it. Uh, I color it as well. Uh, I do the design work for the book, um, you know, all the pre-press work, get it ready to, for a printer. And then I leave all the, you know, word wizardry to to Wes because he was uh, kind enough to work with me when, like you mentioned, it was my first book, uh, you know, years ago. And uh, he's an amazing collaborator who seems to understand what the vibe that I'm going for. Uh, you know, I try to keep the pages very visual. There's not a lot of heavy dialogue. I don't have a lot of Bendis balloons. I've heard that mentioned before <laughs> uh, with a lot of back and forth, which, ha which has a great place in some stories. Uh, you know, I think if I was ever, you know, a, a film director, I would probably be, you know, happy directing a silent film. I'm sure the actors wouldn't be, uh, but there's just something about like the, the ability to tell a story with a single, with just a shot, a frame, a composition, and when I'm able to do that in Midnight Mystery, um, I do. But when I, I need words, I need dialogue, I write it and I trust Wes to be able to put it on the page. So he's been fun to work with. And we're, we're continuing that as, as I work on more Midnight Mystery and a new Midnight Mystery. Great, great. Because uh, the first story of yours that I read was called Real Evil, and that's R-E-E-L, Evil. And it had to do with... Uh, uh, I guess a host on a, a late night TV show that had to do with mystery stuff. And it was a really gripping story. I, to this day, I haven't read anything that even came close to, to what that story was about. And it just hooked me. I, I just, you know, that it went places I never dreamed that it would go. And I love that in a comic when you can surprise me, especially because I've been reading comics for decades. If you can get me to go, what? And it makes sense still. You know, I'm surprised, but it, it, it's, a, it's a good surprise. I love that. And that first two-parter that I read is in the first volume, which is great. There, There's actually, I guess, that two-parter. And then there's a, a story called The Burning Bride, which I read, which was great. And then The, the House That Satan Built is the last one in that first volume. Uh, how long did it take to put that first volume together for you? It, it took a bit. Uh, I want to say it was probably early 2020, you know, as uh, we were all starting to, you know, understand what the pandemic was going to be. And, you know, people were working from home. Um, you know, that's that's what I, I was in the same situation. You know, I was sent home from my office and just trying to figure out what that was going to look like, uh, you know, working from home, uh, you know, dealing with more responsibilities, uh, trying to maintain a job and, you know, pay the bills, pay the mortgage. And do that. And, you know, I was working with a publisher at the time and, you know, with life being what it was, I had to focus on, you know, my family and work. And that probably took a good chunk of 2020. And it wasn't until late 2020, around like around October or so, that I started to get a little bit uh, ahead above water where I could start realizing that I could balance out new responsibilities at my job that I, I felt comfortable enough with how things were going that I could start drawing again and, and kind of work with comics. And at that time, you know, I decided to just publish Midnight Mystery on my own. Um, I had a lot of kind people that had reached out and asked uh, what the future of Midnight Mystery was, um, you know, and most of them were 
you know, very excited because they wanted to to see more. Like you, you checked out Real Evil, Burning Bride, uh, and you know they wanted to see what what else Zeke was up to. Uh, so at that point, uh, I started to go through the process of looking for printers and seeing if there were any printers out there that I could you know establish a relationship with. And you know, I think when you think about comics, you know, you go right to the art. Then after that, in the writing, the production, like I mentioned, Wes and in in lettering. Uh, so I had to learn the new skill of book design and working with a printer and understanding color values and all those specific, completely not fun <laughs> conversations, uh, but necessary to make a good looking book that people can appreciate. So that started late 2020. And at that point, I realized, you know what, I, I think I can do this. And um, the best thing is in finding a good printer is, uh, you know, everything the buck stops with you, right? Like if you make a good book, then great. If you didn't, then there's no one to blame. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, it, it was great to to find a good partner. And after collecting a uh, real evil parts one and two burning bride. And then I added the house that Satan built, which was, it's kind of a prose with, I want to say it's like eight or 10 full page illustrations, but I also turned that one into a, and I know you just bought it, Wayne. So here's a, a little bit of a spoiler, but hopefully this will make it exciting for uh, when you get it in your hands. Um, it actually, I recorded an entire like old time radio type story. Mm-hmm. So if you have the, if you have the pros uh, with you, you can actually just like play it like an old episode of the Shadow or Inner Sanctum with music and, and sound effects and everything. Um, so I don't know. I thought, you know what? This is kind of neat. These are things that now as a self-publisher, all these crazy ideas that I had that, you know, other people might think, say, you can't do that in comics or, you know, like, I don't know if there's an audience for that. I'm like, well, um, I don't have to keep everyone happy. I just have to keep myself happy. And if Wayne likes it, that makes two of us. So I'm, that's good. Uh, I don't have to sell thousands of copies. I can sell dozens of copies. That's okay. Um, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, so I never... When I, when I started thinking about redoing the kind of publishing Midnight Mystery on my own in that first volume, I just thought, you know what? Um, I don't want pallets of comics sitting in, in my garage or in my basement. Uh, certainly my wife would not want that either. <laughs> um, but if I can, you know, make a, make a few volumes and have this thing that uh, represents uh, years of work and get uh, a few people to like it, um, then I'm, I'm happy with that. And I can honestly say that I did not uh, expect the demand. So I was able to just about sell out, I don't know, within maybe a week or so of the first one. So the the batch that you ordered from was a second printing. So the fact that I'm even talking about a second printing with this stuff is pretty, pretty amazing um, because the demand is so high. And and now because of that, there'll be more volumes. So wow. I think it'll be fun. Well, the thing I noticed, too, there was two left when I was ordering. So I got one of those last two. That's right. Yeah. And I think I'm going to, and I'm, I'll be able to print more, uh, you know, when you start getting into self-publishing, you know, I think the, the one thing that a lot of folks maybe never talk about is, yeah, it's the, the money that I make from printing of, uh, 20, 30, 40, a hundred copies allows me to print another 20, 30, 40, a hundred copies and make other volumes as well. So it's kind of like the, you know, this flywheel that's created where more people order, the more I can make, the more I can make, uh, the easier I can have conversations with my wife to say, Hey, when you check the savings account, if you see it's down a few bucks, um, that was me, but I I will pay us back. (laughs) (laughs) 
so, so there's an actual audio recording in volume one? So yeah, when, when you read volume one, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to spoil it too much, uh, but when you get it in your hands, I'll just say you will be directed somewhere where you will be able oh. to experience it. And, and this might be similar to, if you remember dead letters that, uh, I released, uh, that's going to be in volume two. And same with that one, except with that one, I actually hired, uh, some professional voice actors, uh, oh. to do the voices for the characters and same thing. I did the production, music, uh, uh, sound effects, uh, the pacing. And that one is probably closer to the old Power Records. Remember those? Mm-hmm. And you can just follow along page by page. And it tells you, you know, a little a little like ding clicks. It's like, oh, turn the page. So the action on the page is following along with the music that you're you're listening to. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be great fun. Well. Okay, so see, now you've opened the door here. Uh, uh, you've mentioned now that there's actually volume two, and you provided the first two parts of volume two so I could read them. And I loved them. I thought they were great. The first one is called Messenger of Murder, and it concludes in The Widowing Whale. That's right. Which is a g- great story. I'm, I'm excited to hear uh, what you thought of this because this was the one of the first like brand new stories. So I guess uh, what I should say is with volume one, um, you know, when you do comics on your own, uh, and this is where, you know, I can just let my imagination go wild. I can do those audio stories and, and just those pro stories as well and just try to make it interesting, unique. Um, you know, it's just a representation of me and what I like. You know, I like OTR, old time radio. I like Sherlock Holmes. I, I like Hammer Horror. And some of the stuff they do is as much audio visual as it is uh you know, like in a comic. So I, I wanted to do something fun and, and different and something that people who get it totally get the references about what I'm doing. Um, so when volume two came around and I was working on these new stories, uh, not only did I go back and remaster some of the previously released work. So I went back and cleaned up some of the colors, uh, some backgrounds and, you know, just added a few on in volume one. There's, I want to say sh- just shy of maybe 20 new pages in there. Uh, just different moments where, you know, the, the stuff that ends up on the the director, the editing room floor where I'm like, well, if I'm working with a 32 page comic, you know, I have to honor the the limitations of this. So if the story was 33, I, I got to stick to this. But man, that one page would have been really cool. Well, this time I just went back and did that one page or 20 um, and in volume two, uh, Messenger of Murder and Widowing Whale, which is kind of like this. I don't know. The, um, I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what you thought, Wayne, because this is, uh, you're one of the first people that has read both of them, um, so you can kind of see how the pieces come together. Mm-hmm. It, it really works well together. It, just like the first uh, stories that I read of yours, th- this was, a, again, a really terrific thing. That, that The wonderful thing about your books, and uh, there's an interesting little comment on the f- first cover on in Volume 1. It says, Supernatural Suspense. And the great thing about the way you tell these stories is that when you add that supernatural element to it, it opens the door for some more possibilities. You know, murder mysteries, you're, you're pretty much limited to real people doing some things. And you've you got to look at the, the people and figure out what's going on. But with the way that you do it, you add that supernatural element to it. So it may not be. A, a quote unquote living person doing things. It could be a supernatural event going on. And so we have to pay more attention and watch. 
And I like that. I like that. I, uh, you know, I, I believe me. I love my murder mysteries. I, I, I have to stop watching the 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 the, the murder shows because now what they've started doing is they run the the end right into the beginning of the next show. And so I want to know the moment I start to watch the next show, I got to keep watching. And so I, I watch six seven hours at a time before I realize it. And what your stuff does, it adds to that format you add an element beyond that and that forces me to think outside the box which i really like and i it's unlike uh, like forensic files and it's unlike uh, other things we have to figure out what's going on and we have to pay attention to other elements that you might not watch in a a, 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 a these other shows and other books and stuff like that so for me i like the fact that when I'm watching, like when I'm reading Messenger of Murder and then the, the Widowing Whale, I, I have to concern myself. Is this a supernatural thing that's taking place? Is, is there a person behind it? I, I can't be certain at the beginning. And the way that it's done, it's done so cleverly that I cannot tell. <laughs> and of course, that makes me want to read, keep reading. And so I, I jump right from the, the first part to the second part because I don't know what's going on. It's really very cleverly done i just think it's so sharp now you and i talked the last time uh, when we talked previously about the fact that you were using a little more subtle color palette uh skies were red like in batman the animated series and things like that and it's one of the things i noticed right away is that there are a lot of yellows and brighter colors going on which was actually uh, you know i i didn't I didn't want that to always be the case that you don't have to always use the same palette all the time. It, when you do these different colors, it makes it a little more interesting for me visually to figure out because this, that tells me right away, something a little different's going on and I have to pay attention at that point. So I really love that. I want to see the other two parts in this volume too. So I, I am the, the moment these books are available, I'm going to be after them. Because, you know, like I said, I just ordered volume one. And, and from what I understand, I may not have to wait too long for volumes two and three. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, no. First, thank you for those kind words. Uh, I am a, a color theory geek. Uh, I don't know if such a thing exists, but if there is, I, I, I am one because I do pay attention to color mood and just the the atmosphere that certain color combinations can can give and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'll use them as my crutch if, you know, I, I can't draw something well enough or, you know, and that certainly is most of the time I, I try. Uh, but, you know, if there's a red sky or something is going on and and like you saw in, in the new stories, um, I think that's a byproduct of understanding, you know, the limitations I was giving myself in, in some of the coloring and realizing that, yep, some stories need a more subdued color palette. And that makes sense. But in Messenger of Murder, let's just say that uh, crimson flows. <laughs> there's there's a lot of red, and you can take that for everything it means. Uh, um, and it just made sense because uh, when some of the, we'll say, more supernatural elements appear in these stories, uh, when they're red, they're just they just provide such a stark contrast to to the blues of the of kind of like the back alleys and the rain and, and purples in a church that make f- things feel maybe a little bit ominous. Um, so I, I'm glad that you picked up on those things. And and to be fair, a lot of that too is as I, I think, get more comfortable in digital coloring, uh, now that I've kind of brought in um, uh, 
digital coloring and like using a, an iPad and procreate, uh, you see things on a computer and you'd mentioned how you're kind of moving more towards digital comics, you know, for, for space limitations makes sense. Mm-hmm. But when you start thinking about, you know, print versus uh, digital, I start thinking, you know what, let's, let's use all the crayons. Uh, if we, you know, if it makes sense to, to color something like a really bright yellow and it's a spotlight uh, and it's going to first do the job for the storytelling. Cause it's got to do the story. It's got to make sense for the story first. Um, if it does that, then you know what, then why not? Let's uh, give it a shot. So I'm glad. Yeah. And, and to your, the other point, yeah, you won't have to wait very long. Uh, I uh, was able to, again, continue working with this great printer and now uh, volumes two and volumes three of Midnight Mystery uh, will be available by the time, uh, you know, this episode is released. Uh, they'll be available on my website and you'll be able to get not only uh, one, uh, which will be available, as you saw, in limited quantities. Seems like people are are picking it up fairly quickly, uh, but also two and three. And three will collect City of Ghosts, which is a four part a uh, comic book series for Midnight Mystery that I'd released that follows Ezekiel King as he's hired to find uh, a body that's washed up in a river in the city river, and he has to realize how the body get there, and what are the you know the supernatural elements that uh, that may be happening that uh, made this all happen. And since you mentioned it earlier, you know maybe this all goes back. I say maybe, but it all goes back to. Our, our villain, who's not really a bad guy, but he looks like the bad guy in the, the evil Count Karloff, the mm. former horror host that kind of looks like Sven Gulli. If you if you ever watch that show on Saturday night. So imagine if Sven Gulli had, uh, you know, turned a, a turn for the worse if he was <laughs> more of a bad guy. And maybe there were some supernatural elements involved. That's Count Karloff. So City of Ghosts kind of follows him uh, as Karloff tries to do a few things to to cheat death and how he intersects with King. Um, and yeah, and then there's uh, another new story in volume two, Last Words, which gives us a little bit more background on Count Karloff and what he's trying to do. All the while, we learn more about Zeke and his background, his time in the war. And that'll actually lead into future volumes of Midnight Mystery, because I'm actively working on volumes four and five right now as well. Now, I've said good things about the art. It's time for me to talk about the writing. The writing in the that two-parter, Messenger of Murder and Widowing Whale, really surprised me how good it was. You went somewhere that mystery shows don't normally go. And I more than that, I'm not going to say because I'm not going to spoil it. Let's just say uh, something goes on that uh, shows usually avoid like the plague. You went there. You and, and I was so I was actually kind of happy <laughs> to to see you go there because I I normally know that gosh, see I don't want to spoil this. There are certain kinds of people that are not suspects, shall we say. And you don't follow that rule in there which i really loved i mean i when i got to, to to how things were resolving and how we finally figure out what's really going on i was so like oh man i'm so glad you didn't follow that trope you actually broke that and went somewhere else and i thought that was so great i i was just literally when i got to the end i was like cheering 
Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's you actually did that. I thought that was so great. I was, I literally was just, you know, I, I was literally just like, yes, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody in the house is going, why is he going? Yes. What's he cheering for? And of course I'm reading a mystery book and I was so happy because, you know, I, I, it's so common that there are certain rules that you have to follow in mystery stories. You know, uh, Jessica Fletcher is never the killer, you know, and, and, and those kinds of things. And when they actually accused her of murder once, I was literally cheering. I was going, oh, yes, they think she's the murderer. They should. Everywhere she goes, there's murder happening. And when they did that on the show and they actually tried to accuse her of that, I was just – I thought that's a really great bit of writing. You don't do exactly that in here. I mean they don't accuse Zeke of, of being the murderer. But something really, really fascinating happens with that. And the, the pacing, again, is really sharp and very gripping. And, you know, you, you end the one book – with a, a nice cliffhanger that propelled me right into the second part, which I really enjoyed. So I, I, I have to say, I, I think you're only getting better over time. I think that uh, the artwork is, is sparkling more, and I think the writing is even sharper. So, I, I gosh, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in the future. I, I want these volumes just so I can read the other stories. I, it's just going to be great stuff. Hey, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for the kind words. It's kind of the double-edged sword, isn't it? Because when I start talking about great shows like Supernatural, X-Files, Kochek, The Night Stalker, all these shows that were big inspirations to me, uh, you know, and then you think about, you know, like you were talking about uh, all these procedurals that are out now and all of these true crime, murder mystery, all the great BBC classic uh, mystery, ma masterpiece shows that are out there. Um, there are so many tropes that that you, you it's like you're not working with an uneducated audience anymore they can start seeing who the red herrings are but at the same time you're like oh well this is going to feel like this and this guy should be the bad guy wait no i think they're going to do a reversal and it'll be this mm -hmm. so you're working with um a very smart fan base who was just as inspired and you know they're the ones that watch this stuff just like i do because they it was so good these film noir movies and and you know all these great shows and comics that are out there so you know as a creator when i make something there's almost a way where i have to not try to outsmart myself because i have to try to tell a good story but i know that yeah so so wayne gets agatha christie okay well all right he watches these bbc shows all right so if i if I try to do this by the numbers, he's going to see this. Uh, he, it's like telegraphing your punch in boxing. You're just going to be able to see it. You're like, yep, I think I know what Bernie's going to do here. When I turn the page, yep, there it goes. It just happened yeah. exactly as I thought. Um, so I have to almost take advantage of the fact that if I have the suspense, but I have to take advantage of the supernatural part. It's kind of like my my wild card where I could go anywhere, but – Regardless of what I do, I have to be honest to the story. I have to respect that I can't have the, you know, uh, a killer uh, alive or not <laughs> pop up in the last minute without any rationale or motivation where you as the reader say, well, I didn't see that coming. And that makes no sense. And there was no logical progression to this. So that's mm -hmm. not fun. Um, mm -hmm. I have to be honest to the characters, the story, and, and try to do justice by by the pacing. And, and like you said, uh you know, make it almost feel like this would be the the last, you know, the last scene right before the end of the episode. And, you know, it should be a good cliffhanger like any good story should be. And if it's going to be a two-parter, 
it's got to be that much better because, man, the worst thing you ever want to do is watch something where you're like, well, part one was great, but the payoff, eh, not so much. Um, so, you know, I've got to, yeah, I tried to I, do that. I watched, what was the name of the movie that M. Night Shyamalan did that everybody was all big about? Uh, it Six was about, uh, yes. I watched Sixth Sense with some friends of mine, and uh, they got to the end, and I say, aren't you surprised? I say, well, no. <laughs> I saw that coming a couple hours ago, you know, because, gosh, I don't hate to spoil the movie, but let's just say a certain something starts to happen on a regular basis. And my friends are like, oh, you realize that? I said, well, of course, I pay attention to these things, you know. And so I was – they were so surprised that I figured that out ahead of time, you know. But uh, there's two other things that drive me crazy about mysteries. And I, whenever you watch a, a mystery movie and there's a big star, that big star is almost always the bad guy. We that's, know that. I think that's that's a good that's a good way. I mean, I think it's no different than Hitchcock in Psycho kind of circumventing that trope by killing Marion right in the beginning. So you know, if you now we might see that and think, okay, well, this is like a Drew Barrymore in Scream, right? Like you think she, well, of course she's not going to get killed. It's Drew Barrymore, but then uh, Kevin Williamson you know, doing a nod to Hitchcock says, no, 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 we're going to kill her because it's actually Nev Campbell. Who's the main character. No, it's actually going to be Marion's sister and, and the boyfriend that are actually going to propel psycho. Well, th that was, you know, 1950, 60 something for psycho and, you know, nineties for scream. Uh, since then you and I, <laughs> and probably a lot of listeners have watched a lot of stuff and uh, it's, you got to be that much more sophisticated, so you you can't drop the ball on this stuff, and like you said, if uh, if you know that you're casting Hugh Jackman, and if he's not the hero, then he's probably going to be the bad guy. Well, why oh, would yeah. you do that? Because you don't waste Hugh Jackman in a role like that. He's got to choose scenery, and he you know you you pay him for a reason. <laughs> That's right. The other thing that drives me nuts, and this is true on more on weekly shows and others, uh, I can tell who does the the thing because it's the person they talk the least about. You know, they got five people and four of the people we spent, oh, my gosh, it must be that person. No, no, it must be this person. And there's some person sitting in the background not saying very much. And they're still in the show, but they, they, they're not talking or they're not investigating them and stuff. And then all of a sudden we get to the end. Guess who it is? It's the person that you least expect. It's the person who was sitting in the background that we didn't talk about. That's, that's I said, very I, true. I, there's a, a recent, uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the Wallander shows. Uh, yeah. Out there. Um, I'm a, a very partial to the Kenneth Branagh uh, renditions. I know there, there's quite a few of them, but in one of the newer incarnations, Young Wallander, which is on Netflix, um, it's it's okay. It's I mean, come on, it's Kenneth Branagh sets the bar pretty high. Uh, but now that this is kind of like a Wallander Begins, it's kind of a prequel to when we see who the character becomes. Uh, the same thing happens, Wayne, in, a few, in oh. about every episode. There's always that one person that's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And my wife and I are like, well, we're obviously staring at the guy in behind you who's been in a few scenes and has said nothing and is very obviously the killer. Um, but sure, we'll go through this for another episode or two. And, you know, if it's done well, I, I say this kind of, you know, tongue in cheek, if it's done well and if it's entertaining, I'm all for it. You know, if you can make it interesting and fun. Even if it is a little, you know, by the book, uh, by the numbers, if it's a little tropey, that's okay. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's kind of like uh, the thinking about BBC shows like Sherlock Holmes, 
with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, where the, the tone, the pacing is kind of so witty and it's, it's so different than other shows that even if it is a little by the number sometimes when you get into the actual mystery, um, his character, the charm, the charisma that kind of makes up for it. Uh, when you have characters like that, uh, you know, like Rockford Files and Columbo, you know, like there, I, I don't know how many Columbo episodes I've watched on MeTV where you kind of know who the killer is before the first commercial break. But I'm like, I just want to watch Columbo at this point. <laughs> I just want to see him on the screen, interact with other cops and, and do things. And um, that's kind of the the tone I try to do with Zeke, where I know that the audience probably has read some of the same books, watched the same TV shows and movies I have. Um, but if I can make it a little interesting and also make it a little bit personal with King, then maybe that's enough to to make it interesting and, you know, get folks like you who get these references to, you know, flip another page and another page and walk away and, and you know, you know, entertain you for a few minutes. But see, you, you went where I didn't expect you to go, where, where normally mysteries do not go in that story. So for me, I was cheering. I was like, oh, right. Oh, right. I, I, I <laughs> you know, because I, I, I want so desperately to spoil it, but I won't because there's just a wonderful uh, thing that's going on there. What's happening was an interesting mystery. Oh, oh gosh, see, I'm going to say something <laughs> I, I don't want to do. So I'm not going to do it. But let's just say I, it was a joy for me to read that. And I just, you know, <laughs> I, I, that, that you're aware of those kinds of things, obviously, and you write those into it makes me just, it encourages me to keep reading because I know I'm going to get a good story that is going to be conscious of the things that readers like me are going to be thinking of. So I just, I, I, I love that. I, I literally, that, that two-parter just really just, <laughs> that's when I said, I got to have these. When I saw that the first volume was out there, I said, I got to get that first volume. So I, I immediately ordered it. And so that's when volume two or three are coming. I am after those because I want those to be able to keep, because that's going to be great stuff to have. Good. Uh, again, thank you for the kind words. Uh, I think volume two definitely, uh, allowed me to stretch a little bit as a storyteller, as an artist. Uh, some of these stories are stories again that I've been working on in some on some level for for maybe like ten years, some a little longer, some less. And this is kind of like a I don't know, kind of like this hodgepodge where you know I'll I'll have an idea for a story, and in this case, uh, there's a few supernatural elements. Uh, I'll, I'll say that there's more than one, and one is one that you've seen before in other places, um, you know, and I think of like supernatural where they did a really good job of showcasing a lot of urban legends. So like the woman in white, the Wendigo, uh, mm -hmm. things like that, you know, the, the guy with the hook on the ceiling of the car. And then all of a sudden the hook hand, you know, kills you. Um, they did a good job with that. And, you know, some of them, they, they turned them on their ear and, and tried to do something unique and different. That's what I tried to do with, especially messenger murder, and widowing whale. But I think, uh, as I've progressed with the stories, I always try to think of someone uh, like you who's who's read Real Evil Part 1 and 2, and they've seen the growth of Zeke and how physically the stories change him. You know, he starts with kind of a clean cut, your average, like a uh, detective type look. You know, he's got the collar popped up and he's wearing the hat. And as the stories become more personal and you realize that what are hauntings to other people uh he's also being haunted personally um you know not, not to get overly dramatic about it but this stuff affects him and i think about you know 
if I was uh, doing this kind of work, I mean, if you knew that there were ghosts, that your life would never be the same. Everything would would change for you. And that's how I that's how I try to write him as a character who with everything that happens, um, he, he's he's it's not it doesn't get normal for him. It, he, you know, he it doesn't make him feel better about the world. If anything, it just makes him realize Wow, what I thought you know was real before isn't because if zombies are real, then my God, what else could be like? What else could be out there? And you know, why are these things surrounding me? And it kind of starts uh, the mystery starts unraveling, and you realize why you know this is happening. And as you get through the volumes and the stories, uh, why he's a magnet for this stuff, and also at the same time, you know how his personal history. Um, having nothing to do with the supernatural makes him uh, someone who like this could only happen to him because only he would be strong enough to survive this kind of stuff. You'd have to be made of, uh, you know, a, a, a lot to, to survive this mentally, emotionally. So See, there's a, there's a sequence at the beginning of the widowing whale about Zeke that helps us understand him really well right at the beginning and i i came away from that thinking wow i you know because zeke is kind of a burly guy you know he's kind of a strong fella and stuff and and i don't necessarily always feel a lot of sympathy for guys like that i mean they could probably punch somebody and take them out but i began to one of the great things about your, your writing in these is you help us understand him as a person not just as a uh a solver of crimes, uh, who he is as an individual is very uh, compelling as well. Cause you know, he's not just somebody who can punch somebody. He is somebody that uh, has had some really unusual things happen in his life and, and has had to come through some of these and become a, a, a stronger person on some levels as a result of it. So I really love that sequence at the beginning of widowing whale. I thought that, and I'm not going to spoil it no way, but I want people to be able to look at it. And when they get to that sequence, say, ah, that's what they're talking about. Cause that was a really good Zeke moment right there. I thought really terrific. If you've never read a page of midnight mystery um, and Wayne, you have, but you'll, you'll be able to uh, corroborate that uh, in each issue you get, you get to know Zeke, in the present, but also you also get to see a little bit of his past and how that may have to do not directly some, most of the time indirectly, but uh, with his supernatural cases and this big mystery, again, like referring to things like supernatural X-Files where you had those big conspiracy episodes where Mm -hmm. you knew there was something bigger going on uh, beyond the monster of the week. Uh, That's kind of how I treat midnight mystery where in each one, I hope to to make you know make it uh, uh, self contained enough where you could read one of these and think, oh, that was really neat. I like the tone. I like this guy. I want to find out more about him. But then rewarding someone who reads the stories to realize there's a buildup here. And like you mentioned, that scene in Widowing Whale in the beginning. If you've read previous issues, you know that uh, I'll, I'll say this much: he has a history in the military, and that kind of comes to play into this and future volumes of midnight mystery and just help kind of enlighten, like, why is this guy going through this stuff? Does that have something to do with it? Mm-hmm. You'll find out. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's wonderful stuff. It's, you know, it, it, it helps you know, if it's just like a video game and we're just punching and shooting and stuff like that, then you don't really care. You know, I, I, I literally have played video games and after about five, 10 minutes ago, eh, boring and i stop because i don't want to shoot for hours and hours i want to 
I, I want to care about what's happening. And the one thing that your book really does is helps us care about Zeke. Like I said, he's not what I expected as a person and as a detective, because usually they're crusty and, you know, all, all this kind of stuff that they, they normally are. And he's not. And that makes it all the more compelling to me because he's got like a personal stake in some of this. And when you bring in some of the other personal things about his life, I think that that makes it all the more interesting to me because it impacts him. And when it impacts him, I'm interested. Yeah. And I think that that, that's interesting. You you brought that up because there's a, I remember having a a discussion with a a buddy of mine, Andre, and I want to give him full credit for this because we were talking about why certain in superhero movies, especially in the Marvel cinematic universe, like, why is it that we do like Iron Man and Captain America? Like, and he had brought up this really good thing. He's like, uh, his point was Marvel does a really good job of casting the alter ego before they cast the person in the mask. Um, you have to care about Steve Rogers before you care about him as Captain America, because Steve Rogers is who he is. And so is he's also Captain America, but you need to get him. And if you cast someone in Chris Evans who's able to accomplish that, then you're rooting for Captain America that much more. Uh, and I think same with Robert Downey Jr. When you see like when you know his personal history, but also, you know, you see him as Tony Stark, the charm, the charisma, you know, the the ego. You're like, OK, I, I think that's just Robert Downey Jr. being himself. That, that seems from what I've heard, that seems him. So when you see him do that as Tony Stark, you think, well, yeah, that's Tony Stark, too. So when he puts on the mask, you you get who the guy is underneath that. It, it makes sense. Um I think about that with King and Andre has always been kind of like in my mind as I as I write King, because like you said, you think of the crusty detective with the fedora uh, smoking in a back alley with his with the shadow hitting him. And you don't know who he is. He's so ambiguous that you're like, I don't know that guy. Um, I I very much put King uh, on, on my sleeve and you get to know him because he he is the alter ego. He's the guy you have to get to know because I could try to pull all these tricks about ghosts and banshees and windigos, but if you don't like the main guy, then man, I'm I'm gonna lose you along the way. And I I, I can't I can't do that. Uh it's it's not fun for the reader. It's certainly not fun for me. So if I make him interesting and compelling, then I don't know, in my case in that case, it's like you like Iron Man, he's cool, but I like Tony Stark too. So if if you like uh, all this other the supernatural stuff in the story, that's great. But if you like King, then I, I'm I'm happy with that alone. Well, he surprises me. It's just like the story surprised me. I, I I love being surprised, and I'm very surprised. And I I, I love the fact that I don't know what's going to happen next. And I you know as an experienced reader, I often. <laughs> I often know what's going to happen next. So when I find this, I am just thrilled to that. I, I do want to get back to your art a little bit, though, because uh, on your website, uh, on the page where the comics are, when you go to the top, there's a piece of art that really, I really like. Um, it's it's a little greenish. It's It must be Zeke standing in the rain. And there's like an overhead light shining down. And the interesting thing in the light, you see a little bit, a, a little bit of a, like a background of a skull standing there. It's in the rain and the color and the art of it and everything just is really 
that's superb. I just have to say, I, I look at that, and I, uh, that alone would make me buy the comic to, to get that piece of, to see that piece of art. I say, if that's what they're putting on the website, well, I can't wait to see what's actually inside the book itself. Yeah, I was on it to be kind of fun, you know, because it is, again, kind of the, the visual of the detective in the trench coat in the rain, right? I mean, it's just like exactly what you would expect it to be. But Eh, I'm going to throw the skeleton, the skull in the light, just so you know that maybe everything is a little off center. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's just beautiful. Now, you actually sell art, too, right? Uh, in the shop, you have pieces of art for sale, uh, different ones, a couple of the different versions of it. Uh, Midnight Mystery original art, there's uh, one through six. And really interesting ones. Are, are those like original? Were those back from the early part, the early days, or are some of them more recent? How does that work? It's most of them are probably early doodles when I was trying to figure out. And I say doodles, I mean they're they're pretty, you know, pretty good, like eight and a half by eleven, really fleshed out drawings. Uh, most of them were when I was trying to find out what Zeke should look like, and you know they they were just more like explorations and trying to figure out. What is the aesthetic? You know, so it's him uh, uh, with a trench coat, arms crossed. And I think one of them has like a ton of skulls in the background. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then there's a few where, you know, he's got like the gun and there's this kind of creature behind him. A lot of them are, you know, mood just to, you know, just to figure out what does this guy look like? How does he lean against the wall? How does he hold the gun? Uh, How does he hold a fedora, you know, in his hand? Does he cover his eyes? Like, how, how does he do that? Those just fun explorations that uh, have never made it into the books. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that makes them that much more unique. So, uh, you know, I make them available on on the shop for the people that, you know, are, are kind and supportive, but, you know, like the artwork enough that they're willing to to part ways with a few bucks for it. You know, and I try to, you know, as a as an artist myself and someone who, you know, like you, I only have so much room, let alone so much of a budget. Uh, you know, I tried to price them fairly reasonable, I'd, I'd like to think, you know, so that way mm-hmm. some of the original arts, you know, anywhere between 30 to 50 or $60. But, you know, you get a good finished piece of artwork. Uh, and if, if you like the the idea of Midnight Mystery and, again, the supernatural detective, then, you know, you get something that's, uh, you know, frameable or something that hopefully you would enjoy at a decent price. And I have to say, too, if you go from uh, different parts of the website, on each page, you have at the top a very <laughs> gripping piece of art, I have to say. Uh, uh, in the shop one, you've got him. It's it's him, uh, Zeke, standing there smoking, and obviously it looks like zombies or something coming out of, uh, out of the water or something coming towards him. That's right, yeah. It's kind of funny you brought that one up because in a lot of that early exploration art, I had – Zeke smoking and I don't know why but I think uh having younger nieces and nephews uh he has now in, in no issue of the comic book has he ever smoked <laughs> it's only it's only in like the production artwork where I'm like well of course these detectives smoke right and then as my nieces and nephews were looking at it I'm like you know what uh he doesn't really smoke he just kind of looks like this so yeah he do- he doesn't smoke and it's funny because there's only maybe one scene in the issues that that I've that I've published so far where he has a gun, maybe. And honestly, Wayne, this is from the person who created it. I couldn't tell you if that's true. I think I might be flashing back to production artwork because I thought, you know what? 
I'm not even going to do that trope either. Like he doesn't actually get the easy out of pulling out a gun. Like he's got to think himself out of issues. Like mm-hmm. he can't shoot his way out of a ghost. So how does he talk his way out of a ghost? How does he, you know, like just use the, you know, his knowledge or his experience to do that. Um, so uh, he's not a smoker and he's, he doesn't own, <laughs> own a gun anymore uh, in the comics, but definitely in the production art, uh, some of which is available. You see him do both. You know, it's just, it's it's interesting because that is what you expect. See, in the early days, you were probably exploring whether or not you should go the expected route, and you didn't go that route, which I I applaud, because yeah, guns. You're dealing with, you know, the X Files, and I often say this is that you know the thing I loved about the X Files was when they came across all these terribly powerful supernatural things, they usually got the tar beat out of them pretty much. I, the one I always remember the most was that uh, there's uh, Mulder and Scully, and they're in a jeep, and all these green bugs come out of the forest, and they rush into this jeep, and they're in there trying to stop the bugs, and they get chewed to bits, and they're in the next time we see them in the hospital, they're just like <laughs> in terrible shape, and I always thought that's the way it should be. That's right. You know, you you come across the the unexpected. How can you possibly prepare, be prepared for that? And, so I and love I that. That's that's why we loved Harrison Ford as uh, Indiana Jones, right? Like he took a punch, he fell off a tank, but afterwards he rubbed his elbow and he's like, ah, this wasn't good. <laughs> you know, um, I think that's what uh, humanized some of these characters uh, in situations that were, of course, like action packed and out of this world and, you know, unbelievable. But when you're, when you anchor it with someone like Harrison Ford, who, you know, only when he, when he takes a punch in the face, you're like, man, that looks like it hurt him. And just like you were saying, if uh, if they're in the hospital, you know, having to deal with all these bug bites, it makes you think like, OK, well, these bugs might be prehistoric or there might be something a little alien or outrageous about this. But either way, like they're dealing with bug bites. That's real. So this makes it mm-hmm. feel a little bit more grounded. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and you know, how do you prepare to have a swarm of bugs come after you? I mean, you know, most TV shows, yeah, they'd be like, well, we can't, we can't allow that. And they'd, you know, box themselves in or something so the bugs couldn't get them, but not in that show. <laughs> I like that. Now, of course, one of the things that could be happening in that one that I particularly like, the green one, where he's standing out in the, the rain, it could be cold. And that could just be his breath because he doesn't hold up a cigarette to his mouth or anything. It'd just that's be a right. cold night. <laughs> so they could do with that. Cause that, that's the way I, I figured that I never, I didn't think he was actually smoking there, but there's another, there are other ones that one where he is smoking with the zombies or whatever they are coming out of the, the, the river or something. That's, that's, right. that's good. But, but see all these wonderful images are just great. I, the whole website is great fun. So if you go there and just look at the, the, the first one, of course has him standing there and all these, I don't know if they are, but there's like, it looks like there's drawings of red arms and hands reaching toward him. That's right. I guess they are because it's, it, I thought that in some ways they look like they're painted, but they're not. They're just they're, they're translucent or something. Is what they are. Just so. enough to make it feel ominous. You should never be in a back alley <laughs> with a bunch of creepy red arms reaching at you while you're standing there. Never a good situation. No, but he's not phased. That's the good news about it. He's kind of looking at it going, hmm. <laughs> That's right. So I like that. That's a good thing about Zeke. I always enjoy that. So it's Midnight Mystery, I have to say. And I I highly recommend this book, particularly if you're like me and you enjoy mysteries. But you don't necessarily always want to have a human being to be the one be responsible for what's going on. That uh, you juggle that along and and do different things with it. So it's at IWantMystery.com. 
And I see that you're on at least several uh, social media places. How do we uh, follow you on social media? Try to make it simple, Wayne. At I Want Mystery. Uh, so at I Want Mystery on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, even on YouTube. Uh, at I Want Mystery, just like I Want Mystery.com is the website. And on most social media channels, if you follow me, I usually post a uh, uh, once a day, at least, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll miss a day here and there, but I'll post behind the scenes artwork from midnight mystery, things that I'm working on in progress, inks, pencils, coloring, just to give folks a, a little bit of a behind the scenes peek into, into the making of midnight mystery, you know, making comics, uh, takes a while. <laughs> it's a long, long journey. So I'd like to just let people know one, I'm alive. Uh, and two, uh, you know, I'm diligently working on this stuff, uh, you know, in between the day job and, you know, just trying to, you know, stay alive and, you know, keep uh, food on the table. But, you know, I'll, I'll share things from different movies that I'm watching that are influencing me. So, I'll, you know, if I if it's a late night movie that I'll pop in, you know, whether it's like Monster Squad or if I'm just catching up on old episodes of like Kochak or something, you know, I'll just say, hey, tonight's late night movie is this. And usually I'll get some people who comment to huh, maybe they're keeping late night uh, night owl hours like I am, but just uh you know, always kind of need to let people know, hey, this is what I'm watching. So if you like what I watch, uh, you like the books that I'm reading, and you kind of have some of the similar interests, well, when you stumble on some of my Midnight Mystery comic book artwork, then you might realize, oh, same guy who who likes uh, the Gorgon, the great Hammer Horror classic, likes, uh, you know, makes a comic that, you know, that might have something like the Gorgon. It's like, oh, me, maybe I'll check it out. So uh, at I Want Mystery. Now, you, you mentioned that you are working on more Midnight Mystery. Is is that what's going to keep you busy? I know there are other little projects that come along the way, but is uh, Volume 4, is that what you're going to be working on pretty much moving forward? Yeah, and, and it's interesting because City of Ghosts, which is Volume 3, ends up with a very big cliffhanger that I think uh, a lot of people did not see coming. And even beyond... Uh, what, whatever surprised you, Wayne, in, in the two stories that I sent you in volume two, um, I don't think you would have seen what's coming in the last panel of volume three. So um, volume four, uh, I'm diligently working on that one. It's requiring me to do a lot of visual research, uh, but it's fun. It is uh, probably the most fun I've had making comics, writing comics. Um, and it, I don't know, I would imagine like now that I've been working with Zeke, I feel like, you know, talking about him like an actor, like uh, we're used to each other now. Like I kind of, I, I know what he would say, uh, but more importantly, like I think the reader has gotten to know him a little bit. So now I feel, you know, I've got to be honest to him, but I'm like, yeah, no, I think, I think he's I, I like, he's almost writing for himself now. So I, I know where it's going a bit. So now it's just not disappointing on the art. Um, and so that's volume four. And I'm actually at the same time working on volume five. Um, volume five, if, if, I, if I play my cards right, uh, should be, uh, and, I'll, and I'm happy to share the title. You'll be the first person to hear it. Uh, Midnight Mystery, Ghostland, or The Secret Origin of Ezekiel King. Um, and it does go back into his military past and into his first encounter with the quote unquote supernatural, but probably more importantly, it's more of a personal story about him and a relationship with his father. So you start mm -hmm. realizing, you know, what, how that played out. Um, I think you got a sense for that one in messenger of murder as well. There it's, it's there, it's in there a little bit about his dad. So before, 
the final story um and in uh, you didn't ask but i'll volunteer the final issue is done it's been done for probably like two or three years now um oh, wow most of the art is done i probably have to go back and just clean up a few things but i always knew where where king was going to end up i knew where the story would go and i knew it wouldn't i wouldn't do this forever but i i knew he had a a trajectory that i had to follow and he's been leading me there the whole way so the last issue um I thought I would be poetic. This is this is maybe as artsy as I get, Wayne, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll end it on issue 12. You get it? Midnight Mystery. Um, but <laughs> no, I added <laughs> I added more stories along the way. Um, so Ghostland will be a little bit of a deviation. Uh, but uh, so far, uh, just to, to give you a sense, I have 150 pages complete of Ghostland. Wow. Um, wow. So I've been working on it for probably, uh, I mean, I can't. I can't tell you, Wayne, like over 10 years um, I've been working on it and I knew it was going to be the story of this detective. I just didn't know that it was going to be King. And then as I started working on Midnight Mystery, I realized, wait, that story I've been working about uh, this World War II story. Oh, my God, that was King the whole time. It was always him. It always made sense. I've been telling the same story. So I think uh, folks will really like that one. Um, I'm just making sure that. That one, which is going to be much longer than the other volumes. So the other volumes, you get 120 pages, full color art, um, oversized art, no less. Uh, When you work with a printer and they tell you, well, we can do it regular comic size, but we also have larger sizes. And I'm like, hmm, tell me more. Uh, (laughs) I can make my art even bigger. Okay, sure. (laughs) That's fine. Um, So they're all a little oversized, a little bigger, uh, but I try to keep them to 120 pages. So you get you get your money's worth. You get a lot of art, a lot of story for a good price. Uh, I just have to figure out Ghostland. So I'm like, man, this guy's going to be a monster when I put it together. And I, I don't know that I can charge 50 bucks for a book. So maybe it ends up becoming two volumes. I'm not sure. Uh, but you heard it here first. Uh, Ghostland will probably end up being volume five. Could be volumes five and six. Oh, cool. Well, I'm so looking forward to it. Let me let me tell you, people, if you enjoy mystery stories and you enjoy the supernatural, I would highly recommend this. Buy this book. It's really great. I, every one of these stories I've read, I've been gripped and really just loved. And the second these volumes are out there, I'm going to be buying them and I'm going to be I want them to get to my house as quick as I can so I can sit and read them because it's just great stuff. And Bernie, you're doing wonderful stuff. I, I This needs to be a TV show so badly. It just needs to be on on the TV so much and a movie or something like that. So just keep up the wonderful stuff and more Midnight Mystery, please. Absolutely. We'll do. If you have a Bruce, Tim, or Guillermo del Toro on your Rolodex, uh, then by all means, give them a call, Wayne. I, I will happily take their call. Uh but for now, it's you know it's kind of neat to make comics for comics' sakes, uh, have fun with the medium, be able to uh, play around with different things like the audio and the visual elements to make it a little bit more fun, and have some nods to like old time radio and power records because you know there's stuff I grew up with and stuff I enjoyed. Uh, so it's great making comics, and uh, I will happily keep making more of them because uh, well, it, it's just too much fun to stop. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne as a man from flesh and blood I can be ignored I can be destroyed but as a symbol get the latest from the comics universe news interviews previews and reviews 
Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for this week. Be back next time we'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.